Amen. Good morning again, church. If you have a Bible, please open it to the book of Ruth. If you've been here the last couple weeks, you should have that place marked in your Bible. If not, you're coming to the last sermon in the book of Ruth, and hopefully you'll be able to go back and pick up what we've been the last couple weeks. Ruth chapter 4 is where we will be this morning. Is God faithful? Can we really trust Him? That's been the question stirring behind the scenes in this story of Ruth we've been studying over the past several weeks. And this morning, as I said, we come to the final chapter in this great story, this great love story, we should say, of redemption. And like any good love story worth its weight, the book of Ruth ends on a note of happily ever after. Several years ago, I had the privilege of visiting the Niagara Falls. I don't know if you've been able to do that. Uh, from pictures I had seen, like stories I had been told, it was going to be a breathtaking, sort of one of those moments you don't want to miss type of experience. Um, the sheer size, the, the power, the beauty was all communicated to me, both in word and in picture. As we crossed the Canadian border and parked in the car at Niagara Falls, I excitedly exited the car to see uh, what I was hoping was going to be everything I was told it was. I jumped out expecting to hear water, um, though the fact we had parked so far away, I had no evidence from where we were parked that I was even close to water. We began walking, though. Um, And as we got closer, I began seeing water off on the side. If you've been there, you've had this experience. At first, it was... It was just a slow-moving sort of river or stream you kind of see. And then as you walk further up, uh, it begins to move faster. Then it turns violent. And then you start to see white water foaming, raging foam, and powerful rapids everywhere around you. Uh, Water begins twisting along and smashing into the rocks. The smell and feel of the air actually begins to change. And then finally, we we stepped out into this clearing, and and there it was. And it was everything, and really much more than what you could capture in a picture or what someone could communicate through words. Its size, its volume, its beauty was undeniable. There was no doubt I was standing before Niagara Falls. The book of Ruth has provided us a similar type of experience these last few weeks. If you remember... The book began quiet, dark, with funerals and famine. But as the story has progressed, hints and glimmers of God's faithfulness have begun to appear. Evidence of this has been showing up. And with each chapter, it has only grown. A sense of excitement, a sense of anticipation has been carrying the narrative of Ruth forward. And this morning we come to, if you'll let me use the phrase, the Niagara Falls of God's faithfulness. All doubt will be dismissed this morning. In chapter 4, we come to the aha moment of this book. Everything makes sense by the end of chapter 4. And while God's faithfulness, while God whispered to us concerning His faithfulness in the opening three chapters, He's going to shout and sing with a breathtaking melody in this final chapter. Chapter 1 opened, if you remember, with a famine in Jerusalem, forcing Elimelech 
to leave the, the promised land or leave Bethlehem. He left with his wife Naomi and their two sons. Then tragedy struck. Elimelech died. His two sons married Moabite women. And then tragically, their lives were then cut short as well, leaving no children behind. Naomi found herself in chapter 1, a widow in a foreign land with two foreign daughters-in-law. But in that same chapter, chapter 1, Ruth appears to us. And we witnessed her, her, as we described it, her great conversion story where she commits herself to the God of Israel and to His people. And soon after, Ruth and Naomi, they go back to Bethlehem. They return. Ruth with her new faith. Naomi with full of pain, we should say. When Naomi returns to Bethlehem, she's greeted by her, the ladies in town, her long-lost friends who call out to her, Naomi, you're back. And she responds, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. She said in chapter 1, verse 2, not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. He said, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? What's behind her response? What's behind Naomi's response was the question of, is God faithful? Is God trustworthy? That's what she's asking. She was wrestling with God. But a glimmer of hope emerges on the scene when Ruth meets Boaz while gleaning in the barley field. They find out Boaz is in fact a relative and that he could in fact function as their redeemer. So Naomi attempts a bit of Christian mingle, bringing Ruth and Boaz together, and it works. And just before Ruth begins shopping for a wedding dress, though, Boaz breaks the news that there is a closer relative who must be given the opportunity to carry out his redemption right first. And this is where we pick up this morning. That's where our chapter end ended last week. We pick up this morning in chapter 4, verse 1. The narrative of Ruth, though, we could say it's been anything but a flat and straight path. And I think we should resonate with this. Well, I know we should resonate with this as Christians. The Christian life is never a flat and easy path to glory. It has winding curves, mountain peaks of joys, and yes, valleys of deep pain. The story of Ruth is real life. Our route to glory is often paved along a pathway marked by pain as well. But as we've noticed, behind every detail in this book, one thing has, main, has, has remained confident on every page. We've seen a sovereign, loving, faithful God carrying out His redemptive purposes in the world. And we cannot miss that. That's the point of the story, that God is faithful. Ruth starts with a funeral. It ends with a wedding. It begins with famine. It's going to end in fullness. It starts with mourning. It closes with restoration and celebration. And all of this is made possible by the marriage of Ruth and Boaz and the birth of a son named Obed this morning. All of which I think is meant to instruct us that God's faithfulness is fully and finally displayed through the redemption and restoration found in our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. I think that's the point of chapter 4. I think that's the point of the whole book of Ruth. That God's faithfulness is fully and finally displayed through the redemption and restoration found in our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to give us three headings again this morning, all kind of uh, centered on God's faithfulness as we close out this chapter. We're going to look first at God's faithfulness in a marriage, God's faithfulness then in a son, and then finally God's faithfulness in a king to close out this chapter. So our headings will follow a marriage, a son, and a king. Before we jump into the text, let me pray and ask for God's help one more time. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity where we gather with open Bibles to hear, not from me, not from a preacher, to hear from you. So my prayer is that my words, my study, my delivery would follow, would be a reflection of the eternal truth contained in your word. God, might you use your word this morning. Holy Spirit, please attend to your preaching of the word this morning. And show us in a fresh way just who our real kinsman redeemer is. And let us trust him more and more. In his name we in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we look at this marriage first, God's faithfulness in a marriage in the first six verses. At verse one, the narrative is intentional of drawing our focus back to this worthy man named Boaz. In the previous chapter, Ruth. Under the instruction of Naomi, she went to Boaz at night, laid at his feet, pleaded for him to execute his redemptive right over her. And Naomi, humbled by this marriage request, Boaz promised to act on behalf of Ruth. Remember the text said that, don't worry, he will not rest until this comes about. But there was one problem. There was a relative nearer to the family than Boaz. There was a closer kinsman redeemer who had, for lack of a better term, first dibs over Boaz here. And as we've mentioned, a kinsman redeemer was a relative in this context uh, who could take on the debt, who could take on the, who could purchase the property of a family once owned but sold for economic necessity. And by restoring land to the original owner, the Redeemer maintained the inheritance of the family line. The family name, family property was everything in Israel. So the Redeemer, was a, he, he functioned as a restorer. He would take on the debt and through his kindness restore the family line and perpetuate the line of the family linked to the land. Without husbands, sons, or land, Ruth and Naomi were bound by their circumstances. They needed a redeemer. And Boaz is such a man. However, he's not the only man. But as we're going to see, uh, through the, uh, this rel- though this relative is closer, he is not more worthy than Boaz. Now, a redeemer's worthiness was determined by at least a few qualifications. First, the, the, he had to be a, a near kinsman, meaning he had to be of the same tribe, of the same line. Second, he had to be able, meaning he had to be financially able to purchase the land. He couldn't just say, yeah, I can do it, but didn't have the means to carry it out and bring it about. Thirdly, he had to be properly motivated by compassion and mercy, not greed and selfishness. And fourthly, he had to be committed, committed to the covenant. In other words, he had to understand this whole process as a commitment uh, with God and his people. It wasn't just a personal 
engagement between a, a woman and some land. It was an understanding of God's understanding of the land in terms of the covenant with God's people and perpetuating that line for this family. Boaz being the upright man he is in verse 1, heads to the city gate. This is a public thing to settle the issue. Look down at verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by, the, the, the closer Redeemer. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. He turned aside. He sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And they sat down. So seeing this closer relative, the Redeemer, he had spoken of passing by, he tells him in verse 1, sit down, turn aside. And then he gets a, a group of elders uh, that can witness the, the whole, all the events. And Boaz lays out the situation to this nearer kinsman. Verse 3, then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought, I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, if we hadn't read this story, that, that statement should shock us and jump out at us. It throws a wrench into this whole plan. We don't want this guy. We want Boaz. But Boaz, Boaz wasn't born yesterday. Boaz understands he's a smart dude. And his, while his explanation of the situation was absolutely straightforward, his telling of it was also very strategic. You see, he left out something very important, the information that he now throws in in verse 5 and 6. He says, Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also require Ruth, the Moabite, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So when this man hears the responsibility that comes along with this to include marrying and caring, and caring for the Moabite Ruth, notice Boaz includes that description, she's a Moabite, he backs away. We don't really know why he did this other than it, it impaired or jeopardizes his inheritance, as we see in verse 6. Maybe he's married. Maybe he heard how the last three men who married into this family it didn't turn out so well. So he thought, man, I, I think I'm good. I'll pass. But this leaves us, as we're reading the narrative, cheering in the background because this beautiful ending of the story is starting to take shape. And then what we see next is really a, a odd for us culturally, but a formal exchange of, of kind of vows to secure Naomi and Ruth's redemption. Verse 7. This was a custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and to all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of, Ma of, of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be uh, cut off from among his brothers and from the gates of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, 
who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Redemption has been secured through this marriage. Worthy Boaz takes Ruth under his wings, as he said, while the elders and townspeople pronounce a blessing over this marriage. And all of this is simply one glaring picture of God's faithfulness to Ruth, and especially Naomi. And it's actually an odd answer to Naomi's previous prayer from chapter 1. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 9. Put your eyes back there. Remember she prayed, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. She prayed for Ruth to find a husband. God answered that prayer. And He did so in the most unusual, unexpected way. She prayed that God would bless Ruth in finding a husband by returning to Moab. That was her prayer. That was the only hope for Ruth in Naomi's eyes. But God actually did something much more glorious in a way Naomi could have never seen coming. He found her a worthy man in Bethlehem. And this is meant to cause us to stop and consider what we believe concerning God's faithfulness and His providence in our lives. And we, we must not make the mistake Naomi did of coming to conclusions about what God can do, what He is doing, before we see the full picture of what in fact is going on. Naomi said, God had afflicted her and brought calamity to her when in fact He was answering her very prayer. She questioned God's faithfulness while God was demonstrating His faithfulness. She questioned His trustworthiness and His character while He was lovingly working out both on her behalf. It's a simple application this morning that I want to say to you. Trust God. We just sang it. Trust Him. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. Just because you may not be able to see all that He is doing gives you no reason not to trust Him. Don't limit God's faithfulness in your life by your perceived plans of how things should work out. And we all often probably do this more than we should in our prayer lives, just like Naomi did. When we pray, we should be careful not to confuse our will with the Lord's will. Is there room for God to be sovereign in your prayers? Is there room for God to answer your prayers in a manner other than you see fit? Or are we, have we already re- determined what God needs to do, the right course of action for Him in this situation, and then we simply pray that He would do it? And then when that doesn't happen, we end up finding ourselves in a place we begin to doubt the Lord, distrust the Lord. God is sovereign over our lives. God is faithful. 
We have to trust Him. And just because we can't make sense of all the details doesn't mean God is not faithful. He is faithful. And we see that in this marriage here. Secondly, though, we see God's faithfulness in a son. And the beauty of the Christian life is that redemption is always connected to restoration. God redeems no one He does not restore. Redemption results in restoration. And this is what we find here in verses 13 through 17. Let's read them again together. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May His name be renowned in Israel. What a statement. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. This final scene is at Naomi's place of residence. It seems to be, at least in my mind, something of a modern-day baby shower beyond the baby being born. Boaz and Ruth's Marriage was consummated and the Lord gave them a son. Notice the text is very clear on who gave them this son. The Lord gave them this son. God gave this child. Maybe that could even be the summary statement of the book of Ruth. The book, what is the book of Ruth? It's God gave this child. This child is the crowning evidence of God's faithfulness. And here at least nine months later, we were at grandma's house. What do newly couples do? When they have a baby, they drop them off at grandma's house. These women who watched Naomi come home, they watched her announce her bitterness in chapter 1, are now pronouncing a blessing over her. They praise the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May His name be renowned in Israel. Naomi's radical turn of events are now evidence to all. And these ladies are not confused as to who is responsible for this restoration. It is the Lord, they say. He has done this. Praise His name. He is the one who has proven Himself faithful. And He has proven Himself faithful by providing a a Redeemer. And interestingly enough, here in verse 14, who is the Redeemer? It's not called to be Boaz. This child, she says there at the end, the prayer at the end says, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to Him. The child is the one who has resurrected the family line for Naomi. And they pray for him to be famous. Somewhat of an odd prayer. And then they state how this child will be a restorer, renewer of the life of Naomi. He will rectify all that went wrong and restore, and restore her old age. And then they praise Ruth in the most lavish way, saying she is more precious, that, saying, uh, she is more precious than seven sons. And they named the boy Obed, meaning the one who serves or worships. So the same Naomi, the one bouncing her grandson on her knee, is the one who cried out, God has brought me back to Jerusalem empty. And it did seem that way. That seemed the logical answer. She had no husband, no male children. All she had was this Moabite daughter-in-law. In her mind, she was empty. She had no hope for the future in Israel without a son, 
her family, her fortune, her fame as they praised, and her future were all empty, so she thought. But that was not the case at all. She missed what God was doing in front of her. And you remember what we said, why? Her circumstances blinded her to God's faithfulness. But all that changed with this baby. Her family line now continues. Her land is now redeemed. Her husband's name carries on. And she has hope for the future. She is now secure. She is renewed. She is restored. In the most difficult of circumstances, God had proven Himself faithful in Naomi's life. But He did so, though, not by her preferences being, being, being coming about. He did it not according to her timetable, according to His infinitely better one. God is faithful. I don't know all that you're enduring right now. I don't know the uncertainties that frighten your future. Maybe it is issues in your family. Maybe it is your health. Maybe it is your children. Maybe it is your livelihood. Maybe you feel trapped by particular circumstances. You be confused by a certain situation. How did I get here, God? Why is this happening? I just want to plead with you from the book of Ruth as your brother this morning. I want to say to you what I think Naomi would say to you this morning. Remember, God's actions aren't over yet. He's not done working. Keep holding on. Trust His sovereign, faithful hand. Read this book. Remind yourself of who God is. Know that God can and will bring resolution and restoration to your life in a far more glorious way than you could ever come up with in your mind. How is your trust in God's care for you this morning? How is your belief in His faithfulness? What circumstances or uncertainties are challenging that trust? Let the book of Ruth remind you of who our God is. What parts... I'll, I'll say it particularly for me as I thought this week. Jimmy, what, what parts of your future are you tempted to think God will mishandle? And in those moments, we need to remind ourselves of how God's been faithful in the past. Have you seen His faithful hand in the past? You've seen it in the past and we can trust it in the future. But God never operates according to our timetable. And we must not forget that God doesn't just want to do things for you. He does want to do things for you. But God, that's not the, the primary reason He's, we go to Him in prayer. Not that He would just do things for us. God wants you to know Him. He wants you to understand who He is. That's what he's teaching Ruth and Naomi through this book. Yes, he can answer their prayers. Yes, he can fix their situation. But he wants them to know who he is, the God who in fact is able to fix their situation. He wants them to know that he's God. And that they must trust him because he is trustworthy.
We see his faithfulness in a marriage. We see his faithfulness in a son. But now we see his faithfulness in a king. When we think the story of Ruth is pretty much over, we find out it's just beginning to get good. Something much bigger than Ruth and Naomi is before us. I know that's hard for us sometimes when we're in difficult situations, when we're praying in difficult situations, but it's good for us to remind us that there's something God is doing much more important than just working out the details of our life. God has purposes in this little boy Obed that Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz could have never known about, but God knew. What happens as a result of this little boy's birth is that the nation of Israel would get its greatest human king. Verse 17, the end of it. A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadad, and Abinadad fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. Kind of an odd way to end a book like Ruth and this love story, right? But at the end of this love story, we get something of a grand finale to a fireworks show. You guys have seen fireworks shows. They go on, they build, they get better and better, and then what happens? They stop. As if the show's over. But then comes the finale. When all the banging starts going. Kids start crying. Dads are left standing in amazement. It's the finale. And this is what's before us in these last few verses. Just when you think the story of Ruth is over, the finale of the fireworks show of God's faithfulness sounds off. God is not just providing for Ruth and Naomi. He is, his faithfulness is extending to the entire nation of Israel. Remember when we began the book of Ruth, we said that it took place. Remember the context we read? The last line of the book of Judges, which preceded the book of Ruth, said this was a time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It was a terrible time in the nation of Israel. A time when everyone was doing what was what they decided was best. There was no king leading to political, moral, and spiritual anarchy in the land. But we see that through the birth of Obed, through the birth of Obed leads to the birth of Jesse, which leads to King David, the greatest king in the land of Israel. Redemption has come not just for Naomi and Ruth, but for the nation as a whole. God has proven Himself faithful to His people through this child, But the fireworks show is still not over. The birth of this child not only leads to redemption for Israel through David, it leads to the redemption of the entire world. The birth of Obed leads to redemption for you and for me through our kinsman, Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. To where we come to what we think is another odd way to start the New Testament. We come to a genealogy. If you have a heading in your Bible, or at least we just look at the first line. Matthew begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Abinadad. And Abinadad the father of Nashon. And Nashon the father of Salmon. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. Look at there. And Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse the father of David the king. But then turn your eyes down to verse 16. It keeps going. I'm not going to stand up here and read all these names for you. I know you want me to. Verse 16. Turn your eyes there. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Ruth chapter 4 points us to Jesus. Yes, it is a story about a Moabite and her mother-in-law needing redemption. It is a story about a worthy man named Boaz who performs the duty of a kinsman redeemer. And yes, it is a wonderful love story about marriage. But if that's all we see, we miss the point of Ruth altogether. Ruth is not just about Boaz, the worthy man. It is about Jesus, the worthiest of men. It's not just about Jesus, the kinsman redeemer. It's, about, uh, it's, a, it's not just about Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. It's about Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. It's not just about the birth of a child named Obed. It's about the recovery of the royal line from which Jesus Christ will be born. The son of David. Reading these last few verses is like watching a movie one of those movies that where after you see the conclusion, you have to go back and then rewatch the whole movie again with the conclusion in mind to then pick up on all the details that you miss. This last genealogy forces us to see Ruth through a, a new lens, a, a lens of fresh, with fresh redemptive eyes. The worthiness of Boaz points to our worthy kinsman redeemer Jesus, who Jesus meets all the qualifications as well. He's the closest, most qualified kinsman. He's the sinless Son of God. And He's the one most able. He has the purchasing power of His own blood to redeem us. His motivation is pure grace, matchless love. And Jesus' commitment is clearly seen through the death, His death upon the cross for our sins. Jesus is the worthy one who redeems us from our hopeless situation like Ruth. We too, without Jesus, are in a bleak situation. We are aliens. We are strangers, separated from God in our sin. Our present reality was brokenness, pride, selfishness, rebellion. Our future was hopelessness. We possess no inheritance. We could do nothing to earn a reward. Our past present and future were dictated and bound by our sin. Paul describes our state as I read for our call to worship from Ephesians chapter 2 very similarly to Ruth. He tells us, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That was Ruth. See, Ruth is a picture of us all. We all need redemption. Because of sin, we are all separated from God in a desperate state and without hope. But in Christ, we too can stand where Ruth stands. 
redeemed, secured, and full of hope. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, a little farther down, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then he tells us that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In Christ, brothers and sisters, we belong. In Christ, we are redeemed. And in Christ, we are restored. Beloved, Ruth points us to Jesus. It points us to our need for a Redeemer. And most importantly, Ruth points us to the God whom we can trust for our redemption. Ruth points us to a faithful God who brings about our redemption in a sure and steadfast way in His Son for all who trust Him. His faithfulness is fully, finally displayed through the redemption restoration found in our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Four weeks in the book of Ruth was not long enough. I made that confession to you. We should have stayed in it longer. I was left with so many things I wanted to say but didn't say. So let me at least give you five what I'm calling takeaways from the book that maybe you can think deeper about it. First one is this. Take the risk of love. We didn't have time to really get into all of that in the book of Ruth. But love takes risk. The Ruth teaches us this. She took risk to love the Lord, first and foremost. To stepping out and to receive the Lord's love for you and to walk in the love of God in Christ Jesus takes risk. There's something you have to leave in order to receive. She left everything she knew for a life that seemed bleak. She took a great risk to love Naomi, to end up loving Boaz, but ultimately to love the God of Naomi. She did the dangerous work, remember, of gleaning in the field. She took a risk to love Boaz, a wealthy Israelite man. She risked everything, honestly, by laying at his feet and seeking his rest. And through all her risk, we see that love prevailed. Take the risk of love. Loving Jesus requires risk. Loving people requires risk. It will cost you something. It will be hard, but it will be rewarding. Uh, Take the risk of love. Secondly, be a man, be a woman. We've touched on this a little bit, but we could have said so much more. Men, be a Boaz. Be a man of substance, a God-centered man, a man who understands every area of life to be dictated by your faith. Be a man who always looks out for the interest of others. That's Boaz. Be a man who always sacrifices for the sake of others. Be a worthy man like Boaz. And ladies, be a Ruth. Be a quiet, patient, humble strong woman a woman of commitment and a woman of confidence be a woman of beauty apart from a single mention of your physical stature and parents we should seek to raise Ruth's beautiful young women patient, quiet women of faith 
And we should seek to raise men who honor these men, who honor these women. Men don't honor what the world honors. Curves and skin. Honor substance. Honor faith. Honor commitment and maturity. Be attracted to what God is attracted to. Be a man. Be a woman. Thirdly, see beyond your circumstances. We got to touch on this one a bit, but don't be blinded by your circumstances. That's a ploy of the enemy. Trust the Lord and understand that through our circumstances, though especially the ones that are difficult, that's hard to see beyond, is in fact how we come to know on a deeper level who God is. Remember that God's faithfulness in the past, remember His faithfulness in the past and seek His face in the present and in the future. You guys know this way better than I could tell this to you. Circumstances change daily, often multiple times in a day. God remains the same. He's faithful. Stand in Him. Fourthly, remember your faith produces effects you might never see. Ruth and Boaz's simple act, acts of faithfulness, they were nothing extraordinary, honestly. It led them to take part in bringing the Lord Jesus into the world. They had no idea their names would show up in Matthew chapter 1. But as a response to the faithfulness of their God, they were simply faithful in the little things. Their faith produced ripple effects of which we are taking part in this morning, even as we're gathered to sit under the Word. So I think the application there is pretty straightforward. Your, simple, your, your faith, as simple and weak as it may seem, as fickle as it may seem, can produce eternal effects in people's lives, kids' lives, grandkids' lives, co-workers, friends, family, when it's submitted to the Lord. God is in the business of using weak, common, everyday, mustard seed faith to bring about His sovereign beautiful purposes in the world. So don't be fixated on thinking about all the time what you can tackle faithfully in the future, these big dreams. I'm not saying don't dream, but I'm saying what's in front of you right now, simply, faithfully, do it. And trust that God will use it for His kingdom purposes. God uses a simple faith of people like you and me to carry out His work in the world. Fifthly, lastly, rest in the truth of the gospel. The themes of refuge and rest are central to this book. We pulled them out almost in every chapter. Naomi prayed that the Lord would grant Ruth to find rest, chapter 1, verse 9, in a husband. And then Naomi understood her role in chapter 3 to be that of trying to seal the deal for Ruth and Boaz to secure her rest. She said in chapter 3, verse 1, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? She understood that that was her role. And that rest came under the care of a husband, which turned out to be, in fact, the refuge, the rest of the Lord. 
taking refuge under the wings of the Lord, experiencing His steadfast love, found expression for her under the wings of Boaz. But the rest and refuge Naomi sought for Ruth under the care of a husband demanded, remember at the end of chapter 3, that Boaz not rest. The final verse of chapter 3, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. For Ruth to find rest, Boaz had to not rest to labor in securing her redemption in chapter 4. That's the Gospel. To be a Christian is to rest in the work of another on your behalf. That's what it means to be a Christian. Simple distinction of gospel truth. Many, we bring many false ideas into what we think Christianity is. One of the primary ones is that we earn our rest by our work. We labor, we do the best we can, we strive in religious activity, we clean ourselves up morally the best that we can, and one day, hopefully, at the end of this life, God will grant us rest because of our efforts. That is an anti-Christian message. You find it nowhere in the Bible. The message of the Gospel is that there is real rest for you. There is real rest for sinners but it comes through the work of another on your behalf. Jesus is the sinless Son of God who came to labor, to work. He labored in this life living a sinless life, fully in faithfulness to the covenant commands that we should have walked in, but we disobeyed. And then He set his face to Jerusalem, Luke says. Why? That He would labor for us. That He would go to the cross and He would bear the punishment that we deserve. That He would purchase the debt that we owe by the spilling of His blood that we can have rest. And then Jesus said, as He was spilling His blood on the cross, what did He say? It is finished. Accomplished. The Christian life is a call for us to find rest in the Lord. But we only know that rest when we receive the work of another on our behalf. Have you done that? Or are you here today with some false understandings of Christianity? That I'm doing my best and hoping God will one day see me and pat me on the shoulder and say, it's good enough. It's never going to happen. You cannot do enough. You cannot earn enough. Your debt's too high. God is too sovereign, too loving, too beautiful, too perfect for you to believe that you can in and of yourself stand before Him one day. It won't happen. There's no rest for that life. But there's rest that you can receive by faith. To see the work of another on your behalf. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. Confess your sin to Him. And receive the gift of life. The beautiful reality of the Gospel. Be restored. Be redeemed. Walk in that truth today. Trust Jesus today. Christian, 
Read the book of Ruth. Walk in the book of Ruth. See the sovereign God over. He's good. He's faithful. Trust Him all the more. God, we thank You. For this morning, we thank You for these last few weeks. We thank You for whom You reveal Yourself to us in Your Word. On every page, we see Your sovereign, good, loving purposes in Your Son. Remind us, Lord, that You're doing far more in our lives than wanting to order our steps to have a comfortable life. You are working out a plan for the salvation of the nations through Your Son. And we get to be a part of that and take part in that. God, help us as we navigate a world where difficulty and difficult situations are often confront us and we're easily blinded, Lord, by circumstances. Give us maturity. Help us to see, read our Bibles well, to see in our own lives your faithfulness. To understand what you've done in the past. You're the God who will be faithful now and into the future. And let us rest in you and trust in you. Jesus, I, I, I do pray for anyone here who doesn't know you or maybe walked in with an understanding of Christianity that's less than what the Bible says. God, I pray you would show them the truth of who you are. Help them to understand that they have to set down their work and rest in your finished work on our behalf. God, as we sing now, let it be a sweet aroma to you. Let it be an expression of our love and gratefulness for your work on our behalf. For this week, for the last few weeks we've been through the book of Ruth, we're grateful for you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.